Welcome to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in their lives. And it's a place where your questions about faith and religion can be answered. And now, here's your host, Deacon Al. Thank you, John, and welcome again to Good News here on Catholic Spirit Radio. I am Deacon Al. I'm a permanent deacon of the Peoria Diocese, serving parishes in the Bloomington Normal area. And welcome to the fifth Sunday of Lent. Boy, we're getting we're getting so close to Easter. It's a busy time at the church. Uh, one of the ministries I, I work on at uh, at one of the churches in town is with the uh, decorating committee. We're, we're responsible for the for the atmosphere in the church. Hopefully, uh, whatever church you attend, you see uh, during the year the church changes because the world changes and the message from uh, Jesus. Uh, has a rhythm, has has a, a melody to it that pra- plays out through the year, and so we we try and adjust the atmosphere and the environment in the church to to match that mood and that feeling and that message uh, that the scriptures bring us. Easter is incredibly busy because we're switching from we switch from ordinary time to Lenten time to the Triduum. The Triduum is insane when it comes to. Uh, to, to church decorations, and then into uh, Easter, where we spend several weeks uh, in our in our Easter celebration before we return again to ordinary time. And I'm very fortunate to work with a great group of uh, of lay people, uh, mostly women, very talented, very creative, uh, who who take their ministry uh, very seriously, and they they spend a lot of time thinking about how they want the church to feel how they want people to feel with within the church within the church so right now as we're getting ready for holy week uh, to be upon us very very soon we're going through our list of things to do when there's so much and we're ordering flowers we had to order palms for 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 uh, next week's palm sunday we're looking at uh what what floral arrangements we want we have the garden of gethsemane to build oh if you've never been to Mass on Holy Thursday evening. You need to go. Uh, Holy Thursday is such a beautiful Mass. So that's the celebration of, of uh, the Last Supper. And so we recreate much of the Last Supper, not only through communion, but there's the washing of the feet. Um, and there's the, the institution of, of communion. Uh, we, we see the history that creates the communion. Uh, and it's so beautiful. But then at the end, just like at, at Christ's time, they ended the Last Supper by uh, Jesus and his apostles going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And so Mass on Thursday night doesn't actually end. At the end of communion, Jesus travels. Just like he traveled from the upper room to Gethsemane, Jesus begins to travel. He leaves, he leaves the sanctuary and he travels through the church in the monstrance, uh, or I'm sorry, not only the monstrance, but also in the, uh, the excess of the uh, uh, communion host, the Eucharist, gets paraded through the church over to an area of the church separate from the altar area where a beautiful garden has appeared. And we love building that garden every year, and every church uh, has a different look to their garden. But Jesus is, Jesus is set in a tabernacle of repose in that new Garden of Gethsemane 
not only for us to pray with him as his apostles prayed with him, but he awaits his arrest. And the next morning when you uh, come to church for Good Friday, that afternoon, you'll find that uh, Christ is no longer in the garden. Uh, He's been arrested and he's going through his trials uh, and his passion and his crucifixion. And so the Mass Thursday night has no dismissal. We, we take Jesus to the garden, and then we stay to pray. And if you've never done this before, uh, I, I urge you that after you pray at your home parish, hop in the car and drive to the other Catholic parishes in your area and spend, even if you just spend five or ten minutes in prayer at their garden and see all the beautiful churches and all the beautiful gardens um, there are very few local pilgrimages you can make. Most pilgrimages take you far from home. But here's a beautiful uh, Easter pilgrimage you can make that uh, doesn't take forever to do. It doesn't take several hours. Uh, we're fortunate to have so many uh, in Bloomington Normal area, and, and uh, many of the towns within our diocese have this. You have a lot of uh, parishes uh, within a very easy driving range. And so go to your local parishes and visit and spend five, ten minutes in prayer at, the, at their Garden of Gethsemane uh, and spend that time with Christ prior to his arrest. It's a beautiful way to, uh, to really uh, start to embed the, the importance and the, the feelings of, of the Easter, uh, the pre-Easter season uh, in, in your heart. So I, I urge you all to do that. But then the very, the, right after that period of time ends, our group has to come in and take that garden apart so that when you come in Friday, the church is bare. It's just barren. Statues, for the most part, in most parishes will be covered. Uh, candles will be covered or, or moved out. The altar is stripped of all its linens. Uh, there's no vessels in sight. Everything is very, very plain. And that's because Christ has left our world and we're, we're barren with, without him. Uh, we're deserted. But then when you come in Saturday for Holy Saturday, now you've got the flowers uh, are, have returned and we've, we've added even more flowers. We have, gosh, at, at the church I serve, over 150 uh, pots of flowers through the church. It's just gorgeous. Uh, about 70 pots of Easter lilies uh, will be on display. The, uh, uh, the crucifix is draped in white. Uh, there's more candles than we've ever had before. We'll have enhanced music where we'll have uh, s- strings and brass and timpani. Uh, the Saturday night mass, the Holy Saturday mass, uh, vigil mass, is so gorgeous. And, and it, you can almost see the world coming back to life because of Christ's return into it. Uh, so please make it a point to spend the triduum uh, of Holy Thursday to Easter Sunday uh, at Mass uh, throughout the Triduum and and see all the, the beauty of the church. But also, uh, I hope you will, will appreciate all the effort made by volunteers, uh, fellow laypersons, um, who do this all for you so that you can really uh, feel the mood and the beauty of the Easter season. It takes a lot of people. We usually have to uh, prepare the church for Easter Sunday. I often have two to three dozen people helping 
uh, because there's so much to do, and it's such a lovely time uh, to spend in the church. So your church might even be looking for volunteers, so keep your ears open uh, this week and next uh, for an invitation to come uh, help out, because it's it's a big, it's a huge task in any church, and we always love having uh, more and more parishioners get involved in the ministry. So uh, keep that in mind as well. So fifth Sunday of, of Lent, we're still in a time of uh, prayer and fasting and of almsgiving, of, of charitable acts. And the thing you have to be most aware of at this point of the season, if you remember the, the gospel reading that opened all this up at the beginning of Lent, we had Jesus entering the desert uh, in order to prepare for his public ministry. And it was a time, 40 days of, of prayer and fasting. And it was at this time, it was towards the end of Lent, towards the end of his, his time in the desert, this is when the devil approaches. And this is when the devil approaches us in our Lent. This is really when it's hardest to stick to our fasting, when it's the most difficult to stay uh, really involved in, in more and deeper prayer. Because we're tired. It's, it's been five weeks. And this is when we're weak. And that's when the devil strikes. His temptation comes at our weakest time. You know, the devil's no idiot. Uh, he's a fallen angel. Angels have a superior intellect uh, to, to humankind. And so he's no dummy. He knows that the time to turn our, our minds away from God, to turn our hearts away from God, to turn our actions away from God, aren't when we're our strongest. They're not when we're in our closest connection to God. Uh, the devil strikes at our weakest moments. He waits until we're tired. He waits until we're maybe bored or looking for something new, or especially when we think maybe there's a different, a better way. I know there's got to be a better way to do this. And that's when he strikes. That's when temptation hits. So you'll find that it's towards the end of Lent that you'll be tempted to. I know I said I, know I, said I was going to give this up. I wasn't going to have any coffee for Lent. I wasn't going to drink any uh, or eat any chocolate for Lent. Or I wasn't going to look at Facebook. Whatever it is you gave up, this is when it gets tough to stay on it. Because this is when we start hearing that, that little inner voice saying, you know what? If I just looked at Facebook today, it's been five weeks. I'm probably missing something. You know, pictures of the, pictures of the grandchild or uh, what, what's my best friend up to that I haven't heard about? Or, you know, what are they having for lunch today? Uh, because I haven't seen the picture of, of what they're eating in several weeks. But this is when the temptation to break that fast or break that prayer or slow down on our almsgiving, this is the period of Lent when the temptations get the greatest. So the solution is more prayer, a greater devotion to our fasting, a greater devotion to our almsgiving, and that all starts through prayer. So be on guard. I know you're getting a little tired. There's still still a week to go, but uh, be on guard and, and stick with it. You're doing great. You know, stay, stay with your fasting, stay with your prayer, and if you're starting to feel weak, turn to God for strength rather than to temptation uh, for, for an acknowledgement of your weakness. Uh, it's, it's a tough time for all of us, but you can do it, and, and Christ is there to help you, and all you need to do is ask. So we have some wonderful readings for this weekend, for the, for the fifth uh, Sunday of Lent. I want to remind you, if you'd like to be 
part of the program. If you're a high school student and uh, you love your faith and you would like to be uh, join me here in the studio at Catholic Spirit Radio, we would love to have you come join us. So you can reach us at uh, goodnews at catholicspiritradio.org. Maybe you have a question about Catholicism or about Christianity or the differences between the Catholic doctrines and the doctrines of, of other faiths. Uh, maybe you just want to dive a little deeper into your own knowledge of your Catholic faith. Uh, you can write us again at goodnews at catholicspiritradio.org. We'd be happy to answer your questions here on the air. So we have, uh, we have our readings for, for this weekend, for the fifth Sunday of Lent. Our first one is from the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah is again talking to the, the people of Israel who are uh, heading into the promised land, and God speaks to them, and this is what he says. Thus says the Lord who opens a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, who leads out chariots and horsemen, a powerful army till they lie prostrate together, never to rise, snuffed out and quenched like a wick. Remember not the events of the past, the things of long ago, consider not. See, I'm doing something new. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? In the desert I make a way, in the wasteland rivers. Wild beasts honor me, jackals and ostriches, for I put water in the desert and rivers in the wasteland for my chosen people to drink the people whom I formed for myself, that they might announce my praise. The word of the Lord. So God's reminding the Israelites not only what he's done for them in the past to secure their safety and open up a new way for them to travel uh, in order to, to get to the promised land, but he reminds them to remember what's happening because this has never been done before. What, what I'm doing for you has never been done for another people. And all I ask in return is your acknowledgement that I care this much about you, that you realize who I am and what I've done for you, and happy to do it. Our next reading is from uh, the, uh, St. Paul to the Philippians. And Paul writes, uh, Brothers and sisters, I consider, consider everything as a loss because of the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have accepted the loss of all things, and I consider them to be so much rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having any righteousness of my own based on the law, by that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, depending on faith to know him and the power of his resurrection, and the sharing of his suffering by being confirmed to his death." if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It is not that I have already taken hold of it or have already attained perfect maturity, but I continue my pursuit and hope that I might possess it, since I have indeed been taken possession of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I for my part do not consider myself to have taken possession. Just one thing. Forgetting what lies behind, but straining forward to what lies ahead, I continue my pursuit toward the goal, the prize of God's upward calling in Christ Jesus, the word of the Lord. So, like in our first reading, Paul's putting the past behind him and saying something new is happening in my life now. And he considers everything else that's happened in the past as as rubbish, as, as worth forgetting about, throwing away, and not even thinking about 
All that he cares about is moving forward in his relationship with, with God through Christ. At this point of his writing, Paul's, Paul's imprisoned. He's lost everything, including his freedom. And yet he doesn't feel like an imprisoned man because of his relationship with Christ. And all he wants to do at this point is, one, tell others about Christ, and two, prepare himself to hopefully, through a similar resurrection, be with Christ again. And so he he's informing not only the church that he's writing to, but he's informing us, forget about your past sins, forget about what you've done wrong in the past, that's rubbish, that's gone, that's, that's old stuff that we've thrown away, and we are renewed through our baptism in the love of Christ. And I think that's important uh, for, for us of all ages, whether an adult or, or a teenager. Uh, I remember as a teenager, you, your mistakes really stand out in your, in your life. You think, oh, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I behave like that? Um, not only years ago, but just yesterday. Why did I, you know, why did I say that in front of her yesterday? Why did I act like that in front of my friends yesterday? Um, there's a lot of things we regret. Regret is, is pointless. And Paul says, past is past. Uh, don't worry about your regrets. Hope in the future. Look at what's coming up next. And look especially at uh, your relationship with Christ, because that has a tendency uh, and a promise to affect everything else in your life. Uh, whatever you're having hardships in, uh, it's temporary. Christ is eternal. So don't worry about the mistakes of the past. Uh, Focus on the journey ahead and think about, even with the errors of your past, think about all the graces of your past. We've all received so many gifts in our lives that we tend to overlook. We we treat them so small. Uh, Christ is a way to a new life. And that comes up again in our gospel reading. So our, our gospel reading is one from uh, the Gospel of John. And he says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. But early in the morning, he arrived again in the temple area, and all the people started coming to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand in the middle. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law... Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said to him to test him, so that they could have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. But when they continued asking him, he straightened up and said to them, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he bent down and wrote on the ground, and in response They went away one by one, beginning with the elders. So he was left alone with the woman before him. Then Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replied, No one, sir. Then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin any more. The Gospel of the Lord. It's a great story. They're all great stories. Think back over your school years for a moment and picture some of your teachers. 
Our best teachers were not necessarily the ones who dazzled us with sparkling banter, great classroom control, or, or even superior knowledge. They may have had those skills, but what makes them stand out is the way they were able to help us have moments of recognition, their ability to help us internalize what we were being taught. Today's gospel shows Jesus once again being the consummate teacher. He could have offered his learned opinion about the law and allowed the woman to be stoned when caught in adultery. He would have been met with intellectual and blindly obedient defense of the law, and the woman would have been dead at his feet. He simply could have directly accused everyone in the crowd of being a sinner, but that wouldn't have helped them turn away from what the law allowed. Besides, they were determined to trap him in what he said. They weren't interested in prosecuting the woman. Their goal was to prosecute Jesus. After all, she's, she was the one caught in her sin, and isn't it interesting that they only caught the woman? Now think about this. They caught her in the act of adultery, which means there was a man present. Where's the guy? They chose to only prosecute the woman and bring her before Jesus. There's an interesting theory as to why that is. So if she were indeed a prostitute, it's quite probable that, that the man who was with her when she caught, when she was caught, wasn't the first time that uh, he came to see her. And perhaps he owed her some money for her services. Well, in Hebrew law, if the person you owe money to dies, the debt is canceled. So how convenient would it be for this man to have been caught in adultery with this woman, and only she gets prosecuted, and that way his debt to her is, is cleared up. Just a, a little side note, that uh, something that, that uh, different uh, biblical scholars argue about. People always get intrigued by, what was it Jesus wrote in the sand? Uh, there's a, a movie, uh, one of the movies of, of uh, King of Kings, where what he's writing is the sins of the people who are gathered around ready to throw the stone. And that may be true. That would be an, an interesting twist. But Scripture doesn't actually tell us what he wrote. Uh, I'm wondering if he, perhaps he isn't just doodling in the sand. You know, he isn't just drawing little, little figures in the sand, little designs. And what he's doing is allowing things to calm down. Rather than race into an answer, or become excited, uh, excite the crowd more than they already are, uh, he gives them a few minutes of silence, a little bit of meditation time, a little bit of, of cooling down time, a time out, as, as it were, uh, before he speaks. And then he does a great moment of teaching. Rather than accusing anyone of anything, saying, you're a sinner too, he puts it in the form of a uh, a much more casual form of almost a question where he says, uh, who among you have never committed a sin? Let that person throw the first stone. And, and you know, it's funny. I, I think at that moment, I can almost picture being one of the people in the crowd. And, and my first reaction would be to look around the crowd and say, well, I know that guy sins. And I know that guy sins. I don't think they're going to throw the stone. That wouldn't be honest. I'm pretty sure she sins. And then the last person you probably looked to was, 
oh, what about me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, there was that time when. Well, I guess I can't throw it. So it wasn't just each person looked into themselves and said, I'm not worthy to throw the stone. People looked around the crowd and realized nobody here is capable of, of throwing that stone. And that's when the crowd dispersed. And interesting enough, I, I love the fact that Jesus didn't turn to the woman and say, boy, are you lucky I'm here. He just said, well, looks like nobody finds you guilty, and, and I don't. I forgive you. But, and there's that caveat, go home and stop sinning. Jesus says the same thing to us every, every time at Mass. We're forgiven for our venial sins through our mortal sins. We're, we can be forgiven if, we're, if we come with a contrite heart to confession. But the message is the same. Go forth and sin no more. Uh, they add up. It's, it, this isn't a once and done. I mean, the reason that, that we shower frequently is because we keep getting dirty. The reason we wash our clothes over and over again is because well, they keep getting dirty, and so they need to be washed again. We have to be very careful to think, well, if I'm forgiven once, then I'm forgiven for everything. That's not what Jesus says. If you think that once I'm saved, I'm always saved, Scripture doesn't say that. In fact, it's very clear in this parable, that's not the case. So Jesus is not only teaching the people gathered around that woman 2,000 years ago. He's talking to us today, reminding us that everyone around us sins. So he's not going to condemn us just for a sin. What happens is we condemn ourselves when we continue to sin. Jesus gives us that opening, that, that new path to go on. Like he opened up the waters for the Israelites to give them a new path. Like he brought them to a promised land to give them a new life. Like Paul talks about in the Corinthians, that everything in the past, as, as far as he's concerned, is rubbish. The only thing that matters is his relationship with Christ today. And that's what Jesus tells us through this parable. Is he opened up a new path for this woman to start a new life. He cleared the way, just as the clearing of the Red Sea. He cleared the crowd, and he, he took away the, the danger that she was in and gave her a chance to start a new path, a new life, and one centered in forgiveness, but also centered in the, the, the desire to be in relationship with this forgiving God. So we leave you with that. Uh, this Lent. Hopefully this Lent has opened up for you a new path. If you took it seriously, if you really took it seriously, if you looked to increase your prayer, to go deeper in, in your fasting and your almsgiving, then Jesus will open up a new path, a new relationship. You will have a different relationship with Jesus than you had just five weeks ago. It's an amazing transformation you're being invited in, into. And we hope you've taken that opportunity. We look forward to seeing you uh, at Mass as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ this Easter. And we wish you all good things and have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to Good News. And may Almighty God bless you, protect you from all evil, and bring you to an everlasting life.
You've been listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in your life. Submit your questions to Deacon Al at goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. That's goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. Deacon will answer your questions about faith and religion. Thank you for listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio.